Well, hi, everybody out there in credit union land. Thanks for tuning in for another great conversation, credit unions, coffee, and conversation. We're going around the state and meeting with some different credit union people to learn more about them, get to know them a bit more, and cover a variety of topics. And this episode is a lot of fun. I had a great sit down with Brad Bergmoser, the CEO of Financial Plus Credit Union, headquartered in Flint. It was a great conversation with Brad. We have a lot in common, both being lawyers by trade. Um, it's kind of fun to talk to somebody else who kind of came up in a similar way to myself. And and Brad was in Michigan for a while, left Michigan, and then came back as the president and CEO of Financial Plus. So you'll be curious to hear from him because he started at his new role just two months before the pandemic hit. So he has a great perspective of what it's like to kind of start as a new CEO at a credit union and navigating through the pandemic. Brad tells us about his lovely wife Kim and his two young boys and how excited he is to be back in Michigan. So a little bit of background on Financial Plus. They are headquartered in Flint, which is where I met with Brad. They're around 760 million in assets and they have seven branches. So thanks again for joining us and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brad Bergmoser. Well, hi, Brad. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Thank you for coming in person, Patty. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, anytime I can get anywhere in person, I'm doing it these yeah, days. Yeah, it's great. So how have things been going for you? Uh, good, good. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I started in this role in January of 2020, so I got a solid two months of, of, um, of the real world in before we, we took a, a little over a year uh, break. But uh, going well, um, you know, despite uh, having to work through the pandemic, the, the employees have been great. The, the members have been, have been patient uh, in working with us through everything. And we're really, really optimistic for kind of, kind of coming out of everything. Yeah, I thought about you with the spring coming and things opening up, and now you're finally able to get out and about in Michigan because mm-hmm. you're just coming back to the state. But why don't we start off, Brad, um, by just tell, telling us your story, telling us you know, about Brad. Sure. So, like you said, coming back to Michigan, uh, grew up in Monroe, uh, Western Michigan, uh, undergrad. Met my wife Kim at Western. Uh, you and I share a special kinship. We're both uh, attorneys by by education. Have since kind of transitioned out of it. So went to stayed relatively local for law school. Went to Toledo, uh, and then later got my got my MBA from from Notre Dame. Started in credit unions actually with the Illinois League. Uh, I was a compliance attorney. Uh, did some lobbying for on behalf of credit unions in Springfield, Illinois, and and D.C. And uh, like Mich- the Michigan League, the Illinois League has a for-profit um, uh, service corporation. So did some kind of general corporate legal work for them. Uh, spent some time in in private practice. Uh, every attorney should learn how to live their life in six-minute increments. Uh, so did did that for a while, and then just before coming here. Spent time with with Baxter Credit Union, where I was their their general counsel, and also uh, headed up some some operations groups. So great to be back. Like I said, been back uh, in Michigan since since January of of 2020. Still a family here, uh, so it's great for Kim and I have have two boys, Landon and Nolan, for them to get to grow up, you know, close to close to family. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And yeah, it's, and what a splash you've kind of made in Michigan. I mean, you came in and you quickly got involved with the league, which we really appreciate. And now you're an alternate director on our league board, which is awesome. Yeah, really, really excited. Like I said, in, in talking with, with you and other folks at the league, you know, given my experience being with a league, um, I think that was kind of a, a unique perspective that I'm excited to be able to be part of 
the movement in that way, and especially as we kind of enter and we talk about it, is you know, we're entering such a exciting time uh, for for the industry. Uh, so to be able to be part of it and kind of give back and lend kind of the experiences I had, I'm really excited. Yeah. So I mean, what a tsunami you walked into because not only coming into Financial Plus, which was your first segue as a CEO of a credit union, right? Yep. And then, as you mentioned, two months in, um, COVID hit. So you look great. You came through it okay. Um, you're hanging in there. Um, so how is it going for the credit union? You touched on it a little bit. Um, but how did you guys navigate through all of the craziness of COVID? And, and how are things looking for you now? Yeah. So to how did we? <laughs> we managed it, I think, the best that, that, that we could. I mean, with, with the assistance of the league, it was really important for me and my counterparts to stay in touch with each other because it's always, you know, learn from each other because none of us, it, I, I've said it a few times before, everybody had a pandemic response plan. We had to by regulation. Nobody ever really paid a lot of right, attention right. to it. And now it's at the top of everybody's list. So really it was learning best practices from everybody kind of as a, as a credit union and, and banking community on, on what to do. And then here at the credit union, communication was paramount. Uh, we couldn't meet in person, so we were doing weekly uh, video updates, and, and sometimes they were just me recording on my on my phone, saying no updates this week. Just want everybody to know this is what's happening, um, just so employees kind of knew as 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 I knew what what was happening, and you know as the guidelines were changing, and you know we were getting different guidance here and different guidance there. So just just keeping an open line of communication and. Coming out of it, uh, it's I, I'm going to hate myself for saying new normal, but what is <laughs> it is going to be what what is the new normal uh, or the other kind of cliche phrase is you know never never waste a crisis. So yeah. what out of the pandemic, you know, might actually have been a good adjustment right. for for the organization. So I think we're in that phase of of kind of looking back and saying you know what this was good in our branches. We had to when we were um, trying to keep the branches open and moving. We were scheduling appointments as opposed to letting people in. And a lot of our members like the appointment yeah. scheduling. So we're going to try and keep some form of that. Or obviously remote work, uh, which was always talked about, uh, especially since I came over, I wanted to prioritize the ability to do it uh, for talent recruitment and, and retention. You know, and then we were forced to do it. So, okay, now we're, we've, done, we've ripped the Band-Aid off. How do we keep that as just a... Uh, how we do business going forward. Yeah, and it seems like with remote work especially, um, so many businesses are transitioning to it. And in the state of, you know, just finding employees these days, to be competitive, it seems like you have to, you know, offer some sort of remote work. Um, so is that kind of kind of open the door to you looking for folks to be employed that may live out of state or, you know, kind of expand your pool of candidates? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's it's one of those. Well, now you got to put our money where our mouth is. As we've talked about, yes, we want to make remote, remote work possible for for our existing employees, and then for retain, um, attracting future talent. And we've had a, a position or two where we've gotten applicants from, you know, as far away as California, and we're having those discussions of, you know, are we are we going to do it? And we want to do it. The talent is great, and especially in the younger generations, borders become really gray and right. people are willing to move and, and technology advances so they can work remote. Uh, but the other side to that is always, you know, it's, it's much easier to 
build and cultivate a culture where right. you see each other five days a week. Uh, so if you don't see somebody, you know, in person other than, you know, once a month or once every couple of months or anything, how do you make them feel part of the organization that is that is here in Michigan? Right. And that's the big struggle. I mean, that's kind of the magic question. And part of me and just in talking to other people in the industry, it's like, it seems like there's got to be a person that we can all kind of look to as kind of an expert to that. Because how are we supposed to figure that out? I mean, we've never really been taught how to continue to develop a culture when you have a scattered workforce. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's the big question and, and how credit unions are going to handle that. And everyone I've talked to kind of has some different ideas. But, um, I mean, what, are, what have you come to so far? I mean, what, what's going to be your kind of strategy in that space? Yeah, I, I think it's you, you got to have the infrastructure in place to, to even talk about it. So, you know, even the building we're in now in our headquarters, it has to be conducive to it. So you've got to have the big community spaces uh, for, for, for meeting because if, if people are remote and you are going to bring them in, you know, once a month or whatever, well, you're not going to bring them in and sit them in an office by themselves. This is when we need to meet. So we need to have the physical space here so when we are together, we can meet in person. Uh, and then the other side, obviously, from a technology standpoint, you know, if somebody is in a meeting on video conference, we need to do everything we can to make them feel as part of the room as as possible. Uh, you know, talk about, it, I don't think anybody's ever going to find the perfect way right. to do it. I, I was lucky enough at, at my previous credit union, uh, Baxter Credit Union, they have uh, they have offices all across the country and in Puerto Rico. Uh, so they've been doing remote work uh, for for decades, just because of their their network is 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 nationwide, and they invested a lot in you know meetings in person. So they would have more than once a year all the branch managers from all over the country in person for four or five days to keep that culture in place to to get those people who don't work in the headquarters every day, understanding kind of how the, the heartbeat of the organization works. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great idea. And I, I agree, you know, getting folks together here and there, you know, it might cost, you know, like you said, to fly them in, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, I'm sure, worthwhile. Um, kind of transitioning to another topic. I mean, you've been in the industry for a while, you know, especially in Illinois and now Michigan. And, you know, we all see the number of credit unions shrinking with all of the mergers that are happening. And, seems like every time I turn around, there's another merger happening here in Michigan. Um, just with your credit union background, I mean, what do you think that means for the industry? I mean, how do you kind of digest that? And, and how do you think it looks for us going forward with it? That yeah, I, I think this is probably the most polarizing question that we're going to have in an industry for the next several years. Yeah. And we're starting to see now that we're coming out of the pandemic and Credit unions are, you know, starting to get a sense of what their balance sheet's going to look like and, and how the or how the the industry is moving. We've, you know, in the past couple of months, we've seen a lot of them, and and they're not going to slow down. So I think the first thing everybody's got to understand is they're going to happen. Don't don't pretend that that's not going to happen. Um, they're they're going to happen, and then you know, don't try to create a black or white answer to a really gray area. Uh, I've had, I have a great mentor, he, uh, Tom Moore at BCU, and, and he and I had a really def difficult conversation a couple years ago. It was involving a, a merger situation, and he reminded me, which I'll always think about when, when, I, when I think about this kind of thing, is what's best for the member? Yeah. You know, that is, that's why we're here. That's, that's our mission is what's best for the member. And every credit union, uh, each of my counterparts at, at, at their credit union and the boards of those credit unions need to have that in mind, what's best for the, credit, what's best for the member. As the industry evolves, as the expectations of the member evolves, it, uh, as 
you know, we've been talking about, especially since 08, as the compliance and regulatory yeah. burden increases, mm-hmm. and that's there's huge expenses tied to yeah. that. As that increases, every credit union's got to look at it and say, what's best for, for the member? And in some situations, you know, be it those burdens, uh, um, strategic foresight, um, you know, succession planning, we're, we're also in a situation where, you know, I think there's a big gap, a big supply-demand gap. There's There's a lot of credit unions, and we're starting to get to the next generation where we need a lot more qualified leaders to fill those holes. So some credit unions, from a succession plan standpoint, are, are, are choosing the, the merger route. So I think the way to look at it is, you know, is the industry as a whole benefiting? Um, you know, so as, as an industry as a whole, we're, we're bigger than we've ever been before. Uh, we're more profitable. And profit isn't a bad word. Sometimes it's how you use it. Those right. profits get returned to the, to the members. Um, so the, the organization is still healthy. The challenge will be, as mergers continue, how do we hang on to our mission and, right. our, and our message? It's not the size of the organization. Yeah. It's are we still serving the members? Mm-hmm. You know, It doesn't matter your asset size so long as you keep the mission in mind. And that's what, as the industry condenses in size, or I'm sorry, in quantity of credit right. unions, but increases in assets, um, do we hang on to that mission? Yeah, and I think that's key, and I think a lot of that insight, I'm sure, comes from your advocacy background You know, at the league to really – you know, when you're talking to lawmakers and getting out there and, and, you know, bankers, you know, you kind of use it against us with all the mergers or credit unions, quote unquote, buying banks and mm-hmm. all of that rhetoric. And it, it does, they use it against us to make it seem like we're getting too big and, you know, we're no longer, you know, cooperatives and, and we shouldn't be able to maintain our tax status. So I think that point is spot on that you just mentioned about reminding them that it's not the size, you know, mm-hmm. it's the mission and it's what we're doing in our communities and all of the things that we do to make us unique. So with that being said, I mean, obviously we still have a lot of small credit unions here in Michigan and, and a lot of them are, are doing really well. I mean, their, their numbers are great. Um, they're really serving their community. They're um, staying in areas where big banks are leaving, you know, so there's definitely a role for small credit unions. Um, so what sort of struggle, what have you heard about uh, the struggles that small credit unions have and kind of what advice would you give to some small credit union CEOs or employees that are listening? Yeah, as an industry, I think there will always be a very important place for, for small credit unions. I think it's it's kind of naive to make a blanket statement of, if you're this size, you you, you won't make it. That's not true. Geography plays into it. Um, yeah, like I said, competition in, in the area. A lot of things play into it. I think it'll always be a great place for, for, for small credit unions. That said, you know, when you talk about things state and federal governments do, they, they use sledgehammers to kill mosquitoes. So we get, there's unintended consequences when laws get passed and they impact they they impact they make a greater impact on those smaller institutions who don't have the resources to absorb, especially when you talk about the compliance and regulatory burden and things. So for them, you know, from that end, it's it's how do they partner with, you know, how do, how does the the league, for example, facilitate partnership among smaller credit unions or partnerships where bigger credit unions can help out smaller right. credit unions? Um, the idea of shared services, you know, right. how do we do shared marketing and advertising services where you know. I'm fortunate enough here at Financial Plus, I have a marketing team. Right. Well, a, a you know, very small credit union where the CEO is, is wearing 30 different hats, they, they don't have those resources to do that. So how do the, the larger credit unions help with those shared services? And, and that's what's going to be really important for, you know, especially the leagues to help facilitate that in the next five to 10 years so that those smaller credit unions can continue to fill such a super important role that they have. Uh, but as an industry, we help them with, 
those kind of you know back office um, uh, services they need. Yeah, I agree, and I see more and more credit unions doing that, coming together to form QSOs for mm -hmm. shared services and. I think that that's, that's right. It's, it's highly successful. One thing I didn't mention to you ahead of time, so sorry to kind of pull this out of a hat, but um, just thinking about, you know, normally when we talk about smaller credit unions or some of the really big burdens for credit unions, compliance is certainly top, top three. Um, now, more and more, the conversation is turning to cybersecurity. I mean, it's such a huge issue. Um, at our annual convention, our second day, we're having a cybersecurity panel. Um, because that impacts everybody. And I think sometimes smaller businesses think that they're immune because, oh, we're too small to face some sort of cyber attack, and, and the data shows that's absolutely false. You know, everybody's kind of at risk. And um, I don't know what, you know, Financial Plus has done in the cybersecurity space and, and what you guys do to protect your data, but any comments or thoughts on what you've been seeing in the industry in that space? Yeah, I mean, just the news of the, the past several days, right. you look at it's... You know, it's not so much even what you do to protect our four 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 walls. Right. It's what vendors are we working yeah. with? Yeah. I mean, the instances recently haven't been attacks on specific institutions. They've been attacks on the institutions that the organizations use that they use. So right. they're two steps removed, yeah. but they still have the ability to to negatively impact that that organization. So that's where the conversations going to turn is, you know, the QSOs we use, who do they use, right. or the role that, you know, that keeps getting bigger, the QSOs we use that we use. You talk about our, you know, core systems and, and data processors, and those are giant organizations. Those are big targets for, um, for attacks. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of the discussion, and that is where, you know, we're, we are, we are a community in an industry. It's, it's not us versus, it's not even really us versus them with banks. We all kind of use it's keep going up, use similar similar entities. So it's, you know, how do we as, as an overall community help help fight that? Yeah, and what credit unions can do to prepare. You know, you kind of mentioned the pandemic policy that kind of just got made and put in a drawer. I think same for cybersecurity. You know, we need to make sure that those, poli you know, what do you do when there is a breach and, you know, or a perceived breach? Um, it's, it's a big topic. It's a big topic and one that I'm sure we're going to be talking about for a while. Um, so we mentioned a little bit, you were talking about some of the lessons learned during COVID is, you know, finding out your members kind of like the appointments, which I can see a huge benefit to that instead of waiting around. Um, I love the idea of an appointment with my financial institution. Mm -hmm. But what about the branch kind of footprint? So you have how many branches? Just seven? Financial seven. Plus? Yeah. Yep. So what do you see changing, if anything, in terms of either the number of branches or the footprint that branches have kind of with technology really emerging and, and kind of going forward? Yeah, this is one where I think everybody has to be really careful to talk too far out. Yeah. Because, you know, 10 years from now, no idea. The way technology is evolving, and somebody told me even during the pandemic, things that were taking two years to get to market are getting to market in six months now. And we're going to keep seeing that. You, 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 don't, you, you don't go back from that. So I think really hesitant to speak too far out, but the next five to 10 years, branches are part of our strategy. You know, the, the branch network is very important to us. Uh, in my time in private practice, I had a very large credit union client that actually closed their last branch while I was working with them. That, that strategy works for them. Uh, I don't think that's by in large what most credit unions are doing. They're, they're committed to their branch network because their members still see the value in it. Uh, so how do we think it's going to evolve? I, I think that is <clears throat> runs hand in hand with 
what the members expect from from the financial institution, and that is, you know, both kind of the Amazon effect of they need they want immediate yeah. response. They want a loan approved immediately. They want a deposit made immediately, but they also want the personalized touch. You know, as people are under as kind of generations move on, I think there's a lesser expectation of personal privacy, but a greater expectation of if you have this data about us use it and personalize the experience. So within the branch network, you know, we're investing a lot in technology so that when Brad walks into a branch, um, they know that I've been online looking at, at loans and they can immediately get a loan officer sitting and talking with me. So if they're going to invest, the members are going to invest their time to come into a branch, they want that personalized experience. And that's what we're kind of transitioning to be able to provide them. Uh, we believe in our branch network, uh, but we are going to, we want to evolve it. So it's it's less of a, transaction base where you're coming in to deposit a check and more of a, a relationship and a conversation um, space between the, um, <clears throat> the credit union and our member. Yeah, that sounds great. I love that idea um, and how welcoming that would be for members because I agree. I mean, we all still go in and depending on the communities, you know, people rely on that. I know my parents, for example, they, they always go in. <laughs> They're yeah. always going in. So we have a great um, young professional network here in Michigan. We have the Fuel Group and the Hype Group up in the UP where um, I think it's been great to see just having been in the industry for a while. You know, a lot of times you go to events and it's always the senior leaders or the CEOs that go. And a lot of the younger folks, you know, don't get to attend. And, and now they're kind of coming out strong saying, you know, hey, we want to get out there. We want to mingle. We want to have a voice. Um, you know, you're, you're a young CEO. I mean, what sort of advice would you give to a young credit union professional that's just starting out? I love that. First, I love that that they're coming out. Yeah. It is it, it is showing like I said we're in in my view tons of respect for the history of of the credit union movement. I will argue all day that we're in kind of one of the most transformative eras of of credit unions. So to see the younger people get involved and not not just get involved but get involved and want to be leaders in in the movement is is phenomenal. A- advice for them Spend some time and invest in understanding why we're different. Um, what being a nonprofit financial institution means. That means, you know, understand that every dollar we make goes back to the employees or, or to the members. So really understanding why we're different because that's just going to feed on itself and make you more excited about, about wanting to be part of it. And the second thing, never, never stop learning. Um, just, just always understand that the industry is evolving. Um, your career is going to keep evolving. Um, get out of your comfort zone and, and never, ever think think you're done yeah. learning. No, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, I feel that way now. My, I'll take classes, you know, in my 40s. I'm going for my MBA right mm-hmm. now. And my daughter's like, Mom, when are you going to – you're like almost 50. And I'm like, I'm going to always keep keep going. I mean, it's, it's great to keep developing. And, and um, no, I think that's great advice. And um, especially one of the ways I try and encourage them is from the advocacy standpoint, kind of like what you first started off talking about is really understanding why credit unions are different. And so I think it's a fun place for young professionals to kind of find themselves and to get active in the advocacy space. So we're trying to, we reach out to our, our young professional groups and say, hey, this is kind of a fun way. Come hike the hill with us. Come go to Lansing with us and really see what the movement's about. And I think the more we can empower them with the the very feel-good things that happen in this industry. I mean, we all hear about people coming into credit unions and never leaving, and, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very passionate group of people. And 
from my standpoint, you know, really digging into the advocacy like your background is, is really amazing way to develop your passion, you know. So thanks for that. Okay, so um, I like to end the podcast with some five questions that I ask everybody. Um, so take your time with the answers, um, just us trying to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so what is on your nightstand at home? Uh, so I am very much a minimalist. So if you look at my desk at work, there's nothing on it. Uh, my night, so my nightstand at home has, this is funny, it has a empty two-gallon milk jug. <laughs> and it has been there since Father's Day last year. Uh, my boys love making things, so my Father's Day, one of my Father's Day presents was it's an, it's an empty two-gallon milk jug, but it's designed as like a character. So it's got paper hands and legs, and and I, I had put them there that the morning of Father's Day, I guess with the intent of he would find a more permanent home, and now this is just his spot. So, <laughs> so forever, true. you know, you know, you'll, you'll walk in and as as. You'll always see a two-gallon milk jug. Does he have a name? Oh, wow. He should have a name. I will ask my boys tonight to name him. For sure. He should have a name. He needs a name if he's a permanent fixture there. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's very sweet. How old are your boys? Uh, Landon is 10 and Nolan is 8. Oh, very sweet. Great ages. Um, Okay, so what is something that people get wrong about you? So maybe maybe you can... um, uh, you have a good good understanding with this. Uh, people people think I want to say no. Like I'm a st- I'm a stereotypical lawyer, oh. right? So you get the stereotype of you know you're the lawyer. You're here to tell us why we can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And you know I, immensely proud of of my background. Uh, that is a stereotype we need to fight. That's not what lawyers or I came up through compliance. You know the good lawyers tell you how you can do things and not not that you can't uh but if you were to look at my resume you'd, you'd think oh well we're not gonna get anything done he's gonna tell us why this is why we could get in trouble doing this and uh i, I i'm also pretty proud that i think i'm probably the polar opposite of, yeah. of that yeah finding a way to make it happen but understanding what the risk is yes that's great i think that's great um so if you could have coffee with anyone who would it be and why uh so I am kind of um, a I love presidential history. So and and Teddy Roosevelt is probably one of my kind of idols that um, I, I look at uh, primarily just because he was so energetic. And it's fitting if I could have coffee with him because he was historically to drink about a pot a day, and so do I. Uh, so I think it would be him, and it would be him, you know, just to get an understanding of the energy. He brought to to kind of life in general, but how how he brought just the the, the energy to to the office and, and what he did, and really try to model myself after just going out and attacking something every day. That's great. Um, we were talking a little bit before we got started about travel. Now that things are starting to open back up, but what's a a bucket list travel destination for you? Yes, I will. We'll go off that conversation. I actually just completed it. So my my wife and I and, and, a, and a couple of really good friends just got back from France, and I had another mentor of mine in in the industry named Steve Olson, longtime um, EVP and general counsel at the Illinois League. He had told me one time that you know if if you can afford to do it, he thinks every American should go see Normandy. Yeah. And my um, excuse me, we had a chance to to do that, and uh we had a, a tour guide who super passionate about about it his grandfather uh fought in the french army during world war 2 and to to just to get a sense of you know 
what happened that day. And you can never put your mindset yeah. in into the um, into the, the the minds of the men and women that day. But to to just get a sense of physically seeing it was um, that's a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. And that is that's been on my bucket list for years and years. And we just last week got a chance to do it and just immensely grateful for, for the chance to go, to go do that. Yeah. That's amazing. I would love to go see that too. And, um, that's great. I'm sure that those memories will stick with you forever. I'm sure. Um, so what is a trait or quality that every leader should strive for? Uh, humility. It's gotta be. So the, the quote I think has been attributed to everybody from Confucius to Ronald Reagan, but you know, it's the idea of if you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that's one where I'm not a CFO. I'm not a IT professional. I'm, I should never pretend to be because I'll do that at the, at the, at the sacrifice of the organization yeah. and, 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 you know, the, the members money that, that we're here to preserve and, and grow. Um, so it's, you surround yourself with, with really great people. And the first step is, you know, having the humility to understand you're not it. You know, I'm, I, Joe, I'm a simple country lawyer. I don't know anything about a whole lot of things that happen here day to day. My job is to, uh, attract, retain and, and develop and give opportunities for those people that, that do know that to do it and, you know, get the heck out of their way. Uh, but you've got to come in and, and have the humility to, to do that. Um, so that it, by far, and again, I'm a product of, of, of my environment. I've worked with great, um, CEOs and executive leadership that they understood that. And, you know, their, their credit unions and organizations are, are striving now or thriving now because of that. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Brad. That's a great answer. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to get to know you better, and I'm sure others listening will agree. Um, we're so happy to have you in Michigan, and um, especially really ingrained in the league. We're really excited to have you on board, and your passion really comes through, and your excitement for the industry. So um, you'll be one to watch for sure. But thanks for joining me. It was great, great chatting with you. Great. Thank you, Pat, again. Well, thanks again to Brad for joining me in that conversation. I hope you enjoyed getting to know more about him and his unique perspectives um, as a relatively young professional here in Michigan. We're super excited to have Brad on our MCUL board and part of our Michigan Credit Union community. So I just wanted to remind you, um, hopefully you liked our, our conversation. If you have the opportunity on this podcast to like and subscribe or review us, that's kind of what podcasts look for. So please check out your screen if you're tuning in on your computer or on your smartphone um, to give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And we look forward to having you join us next time for Credit Union's Coffee and Conversations.